Good evening and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by Ed P., Ed M., and myself. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, everybody. First thing I want to talk and about as a New Yorker, if you don't mind, is I believe last week already we mentioned the uh, court sentence against Trump. I think that was before last week's show, the $355 million fine plus interest. You guys remember if that was before last Wednesday? I, I don't think we talked about it. Doesn't even matter. It, it, the coming in fast and furious against Trump. Right. It's so only going to mean he's going to get elected by larger margins. The two aspects that interested me as a New Yorker was a, what's his name, Kevin O'Leary, or quote, Mr. Wonderful, for whatever reason, telling businesses to stay out of New York State. Um is there any chance that has any impact? Do people care what he says? Um, will there be a movement? And the trucker strike, If are you guys following that at all? Definitely yeah, following yes. the trucker strike. And I heard the Kevin O'Leary speech. Uh, people are already, even before this, people were running from New York already. That's leaving New York, but not, he's saying to businesses. I'm saying you know, don't don't invest in your too. money in New York State because it may be taken from you. It's a much stronger. He goes, yeah, it's always had a horrible business climate, always a bad tax climate, business unfriendly. But now they can take everything away from you. It's a whole nother level. I don't know when businesses make it such a decision. Will they take that into account or they figure, you know, as long as the alligator eats me last and the trucker thing, is this really going to build into something how much of a percent of truckers would make a difference? Um, Glenn Beck was interviewing some truckers on his show, obviously not representative. But they're claiming if they don't do it, yes, people will take over, but they'll be very inexperienced and won't be able to deliver into New York City anyway. I know this well, there's a certain a percentage, which I don't know, I can look up here, of truckers who are quote-unquote independent contractors. They take um, business... Uh, based on, uh, you know, what needs to be delivered. And, of course, they are free to not deliver to New York. But then there's plenty of other truckers, long-haul truckers, who work for companies, and, you know, they are not free to not deliver to New York. And I don't know what the percentages are. I will look it up. Uh, I but think I think that I, – I well, I certainly – you're welcome at my house anytime, Steve. And I hope they starve every single person to New uh, in New York to death. I mean, you know, that's my think, my hope. If it was New York think, City, no big deal. I live on the border. I go to New Jersey every week, so I can get out of it. But the, you know, the Atlas Shrugged part of this is quite interesting to me. The idea of any kind of grassroots grassroots revolution against this actually doing something is fascinating. I don't think it takes a very large percent. If ten percent of Deliveries didn't fifteen percent are owner operators, right? So it's but, not as big as. But if ten percent oh. of deliveries went down, how much would that have a very noticeable impact? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, you know, how much of a hit can New York take before people start getting antsy? I I think even before this uh, this situation arose in the last week or so. Ever since COVID, businesses have been fleeing New York and uh, productive people have been fleeing New York. This is going to be this is going to be somewhat of an inflection point that somewhat accelerates the trend. And I think that the 
The, the, the historical parallel to me is what happened to the city of Detroit. In 1960, Detroit was one of the wealthiest and safest cities in the U.S., um, but they started uh, implementing leftist policies. Uh, you had the riots in 1967, um, and you started, and then you got busing late in the 60s and early 70s, and you had uh, a flight of productive people. And from 1960 to about 2010, Detroit went from one of the wealthier cities to bankrupt. And I think that's the direction New York is going. And uh, at some point, the acceleration is going to turn it is going to turn the snowball into an avalanche. And I think that's what, where we're going. It's hard to know when that's going to happen, but um, it's already been going on for four or five, almost, you know, four years now. Uh, I don't think it's going to take 50 years, but, you know, we'll see. That's There's what- an interesting aspect to like Detroit. Um Detroit was the center of car manufacture, and it was uh, a, a number of decades of poor uh, management policies, poor union policies, and high quality control by Japanese uh, car manufacturers, Honda, Toyota, et cetera, that really um, destroyed uh, Detroit. And there were demographic issues like, uh, like Ed suggested. In New York, I mean, New York is propped up, you know, its size is itself a prop, but like, what does New York do? Well, it has a lot of the finance. There's no reason to work in a big office with hundreds of other people, uh, you know, at desks to do finance. You can do finance probably just as good from your basement here in Virginia or in Montana or any place Exactly. Uh, Finance is becoming electronic. This is not just, this is against the entire state. So it's not necessarily the city issues. Um, Well, I mean, New York state is in less, New York state is in less of a hole than I think uh, New York city is. Um, That's correct. I think. And, and so what else say that, well, there's tourism in Broadway and that's huge, right? Um, and they really, they really screwed themselves with the COVID lockdowns. Um, and Broadway still has not recovered. Um, the tourism hasn't hasn't recovered. But if you, uh, you know, if if you look at the rest of New York, you know, tourism and finance, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of you know businesses that, you know, sell clothing and you know, Apple iPhones and stuff like that. But as far as like, what is the big deal uh, with New York? Uh, I do think they're in trouble. I know that here in Northern Virginia, our real estate taxes are set to go up a lot this year because the um, the sales of commercial real estate are so horrific as far as the valuations like less than half of what they were before COVID. So if you were, if you owned a commercial real estate building and you were taxed, uh, you know, before COVID on a, a valuation of X and now it's half X or a third X, that brings the uh, real estate tax way down. And of course, since this particular county is run by a bunch of communists, um, 
they can't just uh, you know stop spending. They want to fleece the homeowners. Um, but the collapse of commercial real estate in you know if if it's here in Northern Virginia in the center of of uh, you know the Pentagon and all of the you know airspace and stuff. I can't imagine what it's like in other cities, uh, you know, like New York, where if you can have a, an apartment on Long Island or in New Jersey or in Connecticut and do the same job, why is that all of that expensive real estate um, happening, you know? And so, well, yeah, I mean, they can take Trump's buildings away from them, but what are they going to do? With them? They don't know what well, let do me add, them. let me add to that. And, and, you know, going back to Detroit, you know, New York not only has the kind of exodus that Detroit had, but what New York also has that Detroit didn't have is this gigantic influx of parasites that are draining the system. Detroit didn't have that. I mean, they just had whatever was there. So not all, so they're basically burning the candle on both ends in New York. And, um, you know, and then just getting back to what you're just saying, Ed, about uh, commercial real estate being in big trouble, what you have to step back for a second and think about, well, what does that actually mean? It means the banking center is banking system is going to be in trouble because all those buildings are financed by banks. And if the buildings are not able to collect rent, they're not able to pay their mortgages and the banks are going to be in trouble. We've already talked on this show about how the banking sector is in some very precarious shape right now. And I think that's about to get even worse. And I think that New York is going to lead the, lead the, lead the way down the drain on that. Well, we all know that Citibank is going to go bankrupt for the fifth time and have to be bailed by the government. Uh, they will lead the charge. I'm sure. Um, I, I, I wonder, you know, the first, the canary in the coal mine for New York city was, was, uh, the late great Rush Limbaugh. And it was not so much the, I mean, there's two aspects to the Trump thing and what, and, and they both relate to Rush. And that is that there was punitive differential enforcement of various laws, in particular tax laws against Rush um, that made him leave. And um, they were, basically giving him, uh, you know, an anal exam every year for his taxes. Uh, whereas, you know, I'm sure Al Sharpton has, uh, as a, uh, um, as difficult a, uh, a tax authority examination as Rush did. And so he just gave up. He's like, I'm gone. And it was the different, it, it was the abuse of existing law combined with differential enforcement that caused Rush to move to Florida. And that's kind of what we're seeing with Trump. It's an abuse of existing law and differential enforcement. So um, I, I don't know, like what this will do is the businesses that are there are gonna fall all over themselves donating to Democrats and Democrat causes and mouthing all the platitudes um, because it's kind of like an extortion racket, really. I, I mean, the yes, governor, you, you know, the governor, business to Texas, the, the governor responded to O'Leary basically saying, no, nobody else has anything to fear as long as you abide by the rules. And that is, yes, 
very extortive, isn't it? It's like, we're not going to bother you if you play with us. And again, I'm not in the, in the world of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of investments, but I wonder if- I do think it, it's an extortion through. racket on, on the businesses is, you know, play ball or uh, we're going to take your business just, and certainly don't do anything vaguely associated with Trump or MAGA or Republicans or anything like that. But I, I, so I think in the immediate future, what it will be is people will fall all over themselves to be um, openly anti-Trump, anti-MAGA and pro-Democrat and pro-Pochol and pro-Adams and pro-migrant and all of that. But I do think that, you know, in the back of their minds, they're like, we got to get the hell out of here. This is crazy. And so it might take a few years, but I do think there's going to be a downturn in both new starts and in existing uh, expansion, I think, you know, people will expand elsewhere and, and uh, there'll be fewer new businesses. And, and then I, I think, think there'll be whole businesses that move elsewhere. Right. The issue is both doing business in New York and is it also a difference of where you're incorporated? Well, yeah, Elon Musk had that whole bit about, you know, where he was incorporated. You know, he he's submitting to the shareholders to change the incorporation for uh, his companies to uh, from Delaware to Texas because a Delaware court struck down his compensation package. Now, this. Yeah, this, I mean, SpaceX, verdict, SpaceX is privately owned and he just moved it. He just moved SpaceX right to Texas. But verdict um, against, yeah, for Trump Tesla. Is against him personally, right? Besides the business, because she's saying, oh, if no, you your money. I want to move to the appeal a second because shockingly to me, and maybe you've seen this before, he's not allowed to appeal this until he deposits $490 million somewhere. Which that's correct. And that's, that's standard, by the way. If you lose a trial, yep. If you lose a trial, you have to uh, I don't even know either how to... get a bond or yeah. I mean you oh, would I'm have to mortgage. Let you explain to me how that's legal in any case, but the she's saying we're gonna get it or the judge, whatever, we're gonna get a judgment against him. That affects his properties outside of New York State as well, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and the reason it makes sense, Stephen, is Suppose that I sue you and I win a judgment against you and you want you decide, well, I'm just going to keep appealing and I'm going to deplete my assets during the appeal. The bond is the it protects the person who won the lawsuit from you depleting your assets and and it prevents I mean, otherwise you could have an injunction against Stephen Axelman or, you know, against Trump depleting his assets but they, you know, rather than encumber everything, they only make him put up a bond to, to guarantee that he can cover the judgment in the event he loses his appeal. Okay, I guess, I guess I'm really uh, confused about a lot of things. Now, this was a civil trial, wasn't it? Or was right. it criminal? Suppose I sue you. Suppose you sue me, uh, Stephen, and you win a judgment for a thousand dollars. You want some protection once you've got that judgment. That I don't take my thousand, my my, you know, my whole okay. life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask you my questions. Was this a civil thing or a criminal thing? Civil. Okay. Purdue, so, I think, was sued and lost a hundred trillion dollars or something. They had to uh, pay that money before they could appeal the ridiculous verdict against them. It doesn't make sense. What's the point of the appeal? I just explained what the point. What the point? 
It's not so how much did how off. much did Purdue lose on their on their suit? It was billions, wasn't it? Which suit are you talking about? I don't know. Um, the whole oxycontin and all that other stuff that they addicted have to, oh. right? And I think they had to declare bankruptcy or something. Um, right. It it came as a big shock to me that if you can get any jury, I mean, by the way, many times juries award insanely high punitive damages that are almost always reversed on appeal and is the first time I've ever heard anywhere that people had to pay that money up front. Because obviously when you pay that money on front, up front, you've destroyed your ability to do business. You, you can't liquidate that kind of amount of money without affecting everything you own. You can, I mean, you, you can try for an emergency stay or you could try for like bankruptcy stay or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, they, this is specifically designed to destroy I mean, that individual. Maybe Exxon. They even admit it. They even pounds. admit it. So I, again, I don't, I don't follow these suits, but my understanding always was so many large punitive verdicts are overturned. And I had never heard that people had to pay them up front to appeal them. Is that only in New York state? No, I think, I mean, I don't know every state law, but that is a standard practice in law as far everywhere, as far as I know, when you lose at trial and you want to appeal, you have to post some sort of security so that the person who won doesn't have to fight an appeal and wonder, am I going to be able to collect later? You can borrow the money and that's what a bond, you know, is. I mean, right. you, can, you can take out a mortgage on your building or whatever. Okay, uh, but the wait. problem is they've banned, no, they've banned all New York businesses from doing business with Trump. So he would have to borrow money out of state and no out of state bank would probably do it because they'd be afraid of what this crazy judge would do. So they really, it's, it's really interesting of all of the companies that have done horrible things to people uh, across the centuries. Um, this is a, the only company that's been given a death penalty and it didn't actually do anything. Um, so I, I don't know. Be interesting to see what happens. Now, isn't I don't think Trump has decent lawyers, by the way. I, mean, I think we all know that. That he, I think he has lawyers. awful lawyers. I don't know. She said she's yeah. coming back, and they're all. What did she say? Read him and weep or something. Alina, whatever her name is. So, I always thought a bond was a percentage of the total. Am I wrong about that? It could be. Yeah. Ordinarily, yes, and um. But ordinarily, I mean, the you would only pay a percentage to get the bond. Right. You know, four hundred and fifty-five million dollar bond. You would. I don't know the numbers, but I think usually it's about a ten or twenty percent down payment. But maybe, maybe he's not able to find a a bonding company that's willing to put post the bond for him. Right, which know. goes to what Ed said, which is what I've been, the little bit I've read about this is it's going to be darn near impossible for him to get a bond because of the pressure from everybody else. And I can't even imagine what it would mean for him to have to come up with that kind of cash. And I think he only has 30 days to do it. Yeah, Trump doesn't, Trump is, is you know, property rich and cash poor. That's why he always does these deals. When he, his art of the deal is matching his vision and investors' money and um, you know, uh, the state and local 
you know, people and the, and the property that it wants to develop, right? So that's the art of the deal. The, the art of the deal isn't like, oh, I, I'm going to buy this property. I'm going to spend all my money building a building, and then I'm going to um, reap the rewards. That Trump doesn't do that, right? He, 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 he finds investors. He finds a property. He gets an idea. He finds investors. He works the, you know, system, or at least he did before uh, becoming enemy number one. And then he, he does, you know, then he puts everything together. He's, that's the way he operates. So, you know, yes, he owns percentages of these buildings. Um, the investors own the other percentages. And um, it's not that easy to sell. Like, you know, I, I don't I'm making numbers up, but suppose he owns a third of Trump Tower in New York. How does he sell that third, right? I mean, what, what, how, how is that even possible? I so see. They were talking really... about some of his properties where he does have thirty percent interests in various buildings and and businesses and stuff. And well, let me ask. Let, go backwards a minute. Who else has such a verdict ever been done to, who squeezed this badly for any reason? I mean, never in the history of New York State was this ever done to anyone else. That's on this basis, but even on any other basis, the, with the on basis, any other basis, means, on any basis, what this means to me is it's the Trump exception. You get a crooked judge can put anybody in this country out of business. That's correct. So if you get a judge to say to Bezos, if you don't come up with fifty billion dollars tomorrow, you can't appeal. Bezos is out of business. And the worst that happens to the judge is that he loses the appeal. What does he care? I mean, that's like really scary. How are you getting a $50 billion judgment against Bezos, though? How'd you get a $490 million judgment against Trump? This judge Bezos, did most of this without a trial. So huh? I'm saying you really don't need much. Now that we figured out we can do this, quote unquote, it's very easy to destroy a company. They didn't have to spend years suing Exxon for stuff or years suing Purdue for stuff, et cetera, et cetera. All you need is one nut judge to shut any business down. Yeah. That's that's what's shocking me. And, you know, even if, even if every, quote, legal scholar in the country said this is absolutely outrageous, the and way you're do. explaining it, this is a pretty simple method. So I get a judge to say Jeff Bezos violated some law that never even existed. And now we say, Bezos, you want to appeal? Fine, but you got to sell your entire company before you have a right to appeal. So I'm, a, I'm just a little surprised by that. And this would have applied if he would have fined Trump, not 450 million, 490 million. If he would have fined him 100 billion, the same law would apply. So somebody's got to check this somewhere. I mean, I didn't even understand this interest thing of $110 million or something because it goes back to 2019 before he, like, I don't even understand how this goes backwards. In the Stalin show trials of the 1930s, there was more due process than in this particular case. So I don't know what to say. The interest goes back to 2019 because... That's when the wrongdoings, the supposed wrongdoing occurred, and he he is supposed he's supposed to owe the the verdict and the and interest on the verdict from the date of the bad acts, which is 2019. Right, and absent any victims, see, he owes that interest to presumably some government entity. 
Correct. Who he didn't rip off. Correct. So again, this is a pretty easy route to destroy any Republican anywhere. Why is this only New York State that's worried about this? Why is this only against Republicans? Why aren't Republican attorneys general bringing similar suits to fight fire with fire? I mean, that's the answer almost all the time in these in, in these yeah. situations. And this yeah, Mark a- Cuban, Mark Cuban owns the Dallas Mavericks. He's in uh, he's in Texas and he's a commie, um, you know, go after him. I don't know what else to say. I, you know, most of these uh, liberal billionaires are in in blue states, but occasionally you'll get someone like Cuban in a red state. You know, destroy okay, him. Am I mixed? And up this is just civil war by other means, right? I mean, we're in the middle of a civil war. This yeah, is this doing is business in Trump. and doesn't almost every gazillionaire have business in every state? I mean, yes, yep. the Mavericks are in Dallas, but they play in New York. So you get a New York judge to say, "Okay, you can't play in New York anymore." Now what? Now, I'm just saying this doesn't matter where your business right. is. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and you can go after, you know, the you know, the owner of some California sports franchise when they come to, to Texas. And just say you can't play in Texas anymore. Yep. So maybe maybe that's what somebody has to start pushing. I just maybe it splits inside, the country, you know, right? inside I mean, the law. Maybe it's not as shocking as to us outside the law that it's so easy to destroy a company. Well, it's not so much it's easy. It's always the old government always had the power to destroy anything at once, right? That's what the government does. It destroys things. The The thing in this case was that it it's completely outside of the normal legal, um, what's the word, convention. You know, there's there's a normal legal convention about how things are done. And this is just way outside that. Um but like if, you know, the government, I have a little business. The government could send a SWAT team and murder me and my cats. Yeah, and they've done it. happened to your business. Well, I, yeah. I mean, and they've done it before. They've done exactly that. Um, it's, you know, they've, the government has gone in and, and murdered innocent civilians. Okay, and, I guess you could come destroy back their to lives. me. I guess you could come back to me with Enron and other things. I mean, they go after gun companies. They go after uh, yeah. So oil it, it's companies. Not, it's not so much unusual. Yeah, they go after all of these companies, and and it's not so much unusual that the government destroys things. It's just they generally do it try to boil the frog. You know, they they don't tend to go and uh, and just okay. make stuff. So maybe up. that's my discomfort because. When they again, they've been going after gun companies for many different, you know, weird ways for many, many years. And all of a sudden you find you need one judge who could just find you out of existence. That that I guess that's what's bothering me here. They they're always fighting, you know, gun companies in different states for various reasons. Yeah, assuming one this, not to assuming say a billion dollars. Trump first of all, Trump never did anything wrong in this, you know. So there's, there's even the law as it's written, which is a stupid law and is should be unconstitutional. Even he, he didn't even violate that. But assuming that he violated that, um, and he overvalued, uh, you know, properties, um, you have to, you know, scale the punishment to the crime. 
you know, well, what probably. was the loss? Well, well, there was no loss. There's no victims, you know, blah, blah, blah. Not but only that, Ed, but procedurally, yeah. Trump disputed that he overvalued the properties. He had his own experts. And, the judge and he wasn't allowed summary to... judgment. That was yeah, completely exactly. improper. Right, I mean, exactly. You had an issue of fact in the case, namely the, the, the ultimate issue. Did he, in fact, overvalue, undervalue or overvalue the properties? And that was a trial issue. The, and, and why Trump's attorneys are not just taking, you know, asking for an immediate appeal and an immediate stay based on that. Again, I couldn't tell you. But again, I'm, they're saying he can't do anything before he pays it. That's what, again, that's what bothers me. Now, I used to own a home in Baltimore. Baltimore was a nice, cheap place to live. My home I bought for 58000 I sold it 12 years later for not that much more than that. Now, I did have a home equity line at one point to pay off my credit cards. And I called up Citibank and I said, I want a home equity line. And they said, how much is your home worth? I said, $4 million. And they said, okay, we'll lend you $2 million. <laughs> No, you're laughing. Because obviously no one has ever believed anybody's appraisal of something before investing their money. And everybody's yelling about this. It makes absolutely no sense. Does any bank lend money without making sure you have assets? Well, that's what Kevin, that's what Kevin O'Leary I mean, said too. That's what I'm saying. Nobody was willing to give me a home equity line because I said my house was worth $2 million. Right. I had, it, and, so, and in this particular case, the banks testified. We were okay with the whole situation. We made money on the deal. Everything was fine. I... Again, so they could go after, I don't know, who's the biggest gun manufacturer still in America? No, you know, Glocksmith and Wesson, the usual suspects. Right, because Remington just left New York State, right, I believe. Yeah, they had to, and and Beretta left Maryland, and they had to. But, but literally, all you need is one judge, summary judgment. In other words, basically, you could walk into a judge and say, I would like you to find this company. And he goes, no problem, summary judgment, I hereby find you $4 billion. And that's what uh, this guy did. That's exactly so what he did. I don't even know if Kevin Lee O'Leary is making the case strong enough. There's literally nothing. This doesn't take five years of long, drawn-out motions and process and everything else. He just did it. Well, in order, it does take time to get to the procedurally to the point where you can ask for judgment. Why? Yeah, why? The right? judge can <laughs> give judgment whenever he wants. I mean, it, yes, but if that's the case, then we just don't have a justice system. But and isn't isn't that really what happened here? In other words, there's no, the case took the case took over two years to get to to summary judgment. They okay. went through the formalities, and I mean, I think part of the point, problem up is up to a point, huh? Up to a point, but even if you don't go through the formalities, so what? As far as I understand the court system, a judge can do anything he wants, and your only recourse is appeal. So our rules of civil procedure, though, I mean, the judge does is supposed to follow them. He's supposed to, but if he doesn't, the only recourse is an appeal. That, that that's what <laughs> to it, another New York judge. But but right? even I mean, if that's not. The thing. I'm a judge and I'm willing to sacrifice my career and look forward to only making a couple million dollars a year being a legal analyst for CNN because I just totally burnt up my career. But I say, you know what? I'm not waiting for the other side to respond to the first motion. I'm giving you the judgment. And you say, but you're not allled to do that because it's civil procedure. I just did it. 
what are you going to do? Send him on to CNN. There's zero protection here. That That's what's so scary to me. Why bother with any of the procedure? Well, you know what, Stephen? You're making the case that you and people like you need to get the F out. Of no, New no. Here's what I'm making yes. the case. This is not only going to be New York. This is one judge anywhere, any company. And there are liberal judges everywhere in this country. Is this going to be a trailblazer? Look how easy this was. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I think he is a trailblazer. But on the other hand, the the American system rests on checks and balances. And in other in red states, there are checks and balances because the there are, you know, um, conservative or, you know, just traditionalist jurists somewhere on the way up in the appeals in the state appeals but that court doesn't help Supreme anybody court. ed the appeals don't well, I mean, save trump here that's the, in other words well he should have he should have appealed the summary judge i don't know the actual rules of are you allowed to York, but he he yeah, should have appealed the uh, summary judgment appeal. immediately because right, in new york you can do an interlocutory appeal you don't have to wait in, i mean uh, it was a final order because it was summary judgment um but actually he could have appealed the grant. The, the It was a split ruling. The judge first granted summary judgment, and then he held hearings on what the amount of the penalty should be. They should have taken an emergency appeal right when they got summary judgment and tried to stop it that way. But again, his legal yeah. team, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe they did and it was denied, but they seem like they suck. They're just awful. I don't know what, what they're doing. Well, maybe, first of all, Ed, I, I really hate to correct you, especially publicly, but I think that's because he's saving all the really good people for his new administration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what his history shows. Yes. I, I just, again, there are crazy judges all over this country. You could find one in Austin and you could find one in any red state. You could find one somewhere in Florida. It could be the lowest level judge who now is saying, wait a minute, this guy broke more rules than anybody's broken in history, this judge, and he gets away with it. Why not? That, that's what's scaring me. You're right. Yes, there's always going to be judges who will reverse it. But all, but here, that doesn't help anybody. Well, it's interesting like said, because, you know, you he think... Have appealed, he could have appealed the summary judgment, prior, which was entered prior to the entry of the amount of the judgment. That's where he blew it, but... I mean, I say blow it, but I don't know what he did. I I don't know. I just, as a lawyer who is licensed to practice in New York and practiced for 25 years in New York. It, and was smart I, enough I, to leave. Let's add I that. don't know. I, I don't know what his legal team is thinking. It, it's it's mind-blowingly stupid as to what Because they doing. must have known, if you knew it, that he can't appeal this without putting up the money. They knew it. Um, is he even using New York lawyers? This Alina lady, is she a New York lawyer? I don't know. I just I just think it's maybe more scary than O'Leary has said. I don't know. I, I guess other businesses have some brains when they look at this, but how do you protect yourself anywhere? How do you protect yourself? You don't uh, speak out against the... That's what know. I'm afraid of. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, we we got all this Tucker, you know, talking to Putin, and uh, yeah, you know, get he's, back to that. 
he's uh, you know he's so evil, Putin. Putin. This is Putin-esque. I mean, I, I don't know what else to tell you. It, well, I guess it is Putin-esque. extremely Putin-esque. So I, I, you know, all these people are imitating Putin while denouncing him. It's the hell out of me how they can sleep at night. Now, part of me going back to the trucks for a minute. It hits me that just like with COVID, if the trucks were to boycott New York City, this once again just moves money from Rite Aid in Manhattan to Amazon. Because Amazon will find a way to get their stuff here. Well, they hire locals, right? I'm saying so. Again, who's it hurting and who's it helping? And once again, it'll move the money to the big guys. Um, again, if New York City collapses, trust me, it won't, will not bother me at all. I, I think it'll be really, really interesting. Now, in Canada, they, they used all kinds of stuff to destroy that trucker strike. Could you guys remember what they did? I know they were trying to... Yeah, they froze their the bank Emergency accounts. rules or something. They froze their bank accounts, yeah. So how insane would Hackle have to be to be able to pull off anything like that? Like, is there anything in the law anywhere that she could say, this is an emergency, if you don't deliver, we're going to X, Y, and Z? Or is this, by the way, isn't this become interstate commerce? And can she get the feds to start saying you can't do this? Yeah, it would be the feds I would worry about, to be honest. Who's in charge of uh, transportation? The guy on paternity leave? What's his name? Uh, Pete oh. Buttplug? Yes. Buttigieg. I mean, this this really is interstate commerce. And could they pull off some way of, I don't know, forcing these guys? I, I have no idea. Is, did anybody expect Trudeau to do it to truckers, again, sort of extrajudicially, what he did to crush them? Did I expect him to do it? To do no. his crazy Am I surprised that he did right. it? Yeah. Right. You know, You're, not kind of, You're not shocked. You're not shocked. He went pretty of... far. So let's say this really started to have an impact on New York City. What could they do? What wouldn't they do? I don't know. They'll do the... What's that? Defense Emergency Act or whatever that thing is called? Defense Production. Act. I mean, they could. They the the federal government has plenty of assets that they could use to truck in food and fuel and stuff. Um, oh wait, they I, could do a I, Berlin airlift to New York City. <laughs> yeah, if New York City had any airports, it would work, right? So all the airports are outside the city. Um, no, no, LaGuardia and Kennedy, I don't mean they're on Port Authority land, I guess. I'm not quite sure how that works, but they're in the city. That would be funny, a New York airlift. To break the they are, they are trying to split the country more. There is no question that, um, that this type of behavior is guaranteed to make the red states redder and the blue states bluer. So they're um, saying that I, at least among the Jews, shockingly, there have been a few articles that Trump is polling much, much higher among Jews in New York than ever before. Um, and that, again, I, I think you need far more than that to tilt New York, because if it's normally 80-20 and now it's 60-40, he still loses New York. I, I don't think New York is in play in a presidential election, no matter how many Jews are moved. I don't want Trump to pander to the Arabs in Michigan, but I do find it funny that the Arabs in Michigan are souring on Biden, um, on Biden uh, for, you know, 
because Biden's abetting the genocide. And the Jews in New York are souring on Biden because He's, Biden is preventing the Israelis from yes, winning. winning. Yes. Yeah, so, it does put him in a funny the, sort of well-deserved mind, doesn't it? Yes. Yep. Yes. But he's going to win New York anyway. So he's better off pandering to Michigan. He's not going to lose New York State. If you lose New York State, you're going to lose 49 states. So he's not doing that. Yeah. I mean, you mean Trump is is going. Oh, you mean Biden Biden's is not going to lose off. New York State anyway. He's, he's better off. Yeah, yeah. I don't want him to listen to my advice. But he's not losing New York. <laughs> Whereas Michigan, I believe yeah. he could lose if every Muslim stayed home. And for sure, if they fought. Now, I don't understand why they would stay home because... That gets to always, where are you going to go? You really want Trump? Well, none of them are citizens, so they all should stay home anyway. Well, but <laughs> other, than, <laughs> other than that. I think both Biden and Trump are so, not they're unpopular and they're potentially so unpopular that I think a landslide in either direction is not out of the correct question. I think it's possible that states that Biden thinks are safe are gonna be in play. And I think it's also possible on, in the other direction that states that Trump thinks are safe are gonna be in play. We really don't know how this is gonna turn out. These are two men that are both extremely disliked, if not hated, and it, it's too early to tell how the yeah, election is so gonna turn things. out. There's I so many things that you. can happen now, between February Times, and November. New York Times is now fact-checking Biden, and they were upset at him about something else last week. I forget which thing. And now they're fact-checking him on Bidenomics. And again, is this a slow bleed of we're going to push you out gently, but if you don't go gently, it'll be less just, less gently and less gently. See, I, I, I said this a while back. I don't think that... I, I think they are trying to push him out, but it's not that they're trying to give him a graceful exit. I think they don't want him. To, if he were to just resign today or say, I'm not running for re-election. Well, it's only February 20th, 21st, as we're talking now. M almost all the primaries are still ahead. You would have a real primary where voters get to have a say. They don't want their voters to have a say. So right. they don't want to push him out until April or May or June. But they want the hint to get still stronger and stronger than oh. what you out in June. You know what? As I say to you I still on think there every are. other show, Stephen, to get from point A to Z, you sometimes have to stop at B, C, and D. And this is point B, C, and D. You've got to lay the foundation for pushing him out. And that's what they're doing right now. They're laying the foundation. Sure seems. And when the time is right, they will push him out. And that, that's so they, really they, they, I, I don't think I don't think they, meaning the, you know, the the people in who run the Democratic Party are are unified. I think there are factions, right? And I think there is a Biden faction. And those are the people who are getting what they want from Biden's presidency. Usually the power that they have, whether they're, you know, the various secretaries. I mean, Pete Buttigieg is all for a Biden second term because he's a complete non-entity who couldn't, um, you know, who couldn't make money uh, managing a Wendy's, um, flying around in private jets and, uh, you know, being all important when he's not on vacation. Uh, and he's doing that solely because he's attached to Biden. Um, if Gavin Newsom came in, he's not going to keep, keep Buttigieg. So there, there is this factionalism 
inside the powers that be, inside the super delegates or whoever um, makes decisions in the Democratic Party. And I, I think that the the Biden faction is much stronger than you think it is. Um, I, I really do. I, I don't see him being um, replaced on the ballot. Second, we, we've, we're past the first $20 bet in this show, right? I'm yes, I am, winning, another one. I am in debt. <laughs> I think we should do. First of all, you need to pay that off before you appeal it. Put up, put up a bond. Me, yes, I, I need you to put up a bond. If you give me two bucks, I'll give you a bond. I think we may be ready for another $20 bet. I don't see Biden making it till November. I see the pressure, the frog thing going up, up and up. And again, nobody wants to lose, even Buttigieg. And at some point, every rat, I think, is going to jump this ship. That, that's just the way the progression looks like to me. I'm sticking with that. So that's what I think too. And I, I just like I, I, I don't said, see it. I just don't think they want to do it now. No, I definitely don't think Biden is performing. Biden is performing his job perfectly adequately. He says what they tell him to say, but he, he goes where they tell him to go, and he signs what bill he tells him to. I think the polls will go more and more that he can't win. And that's where the pressure is going to keep building. And they definitely don't want, you know, they don't want to, first of all, if he dies, which I don't think is going yeah. to happen, obviously, but if that happens, they sure as heck don't want to run Kamala against somebody. Well, he, he is, uh, you know, he has that, um, uh, what do you call it? Yeah. The, heart, the heart, the heart issue, the, um, uh, my brain doesn't work today. Oh, pacemakers but, or something uh, else? No, he has an enlarged uh, aorta, aortic aneurysm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I did that's trip a... again twice up the steps, I believe, yesterday. But uh, listen, I, I don't think he's going to necessarily die in the next few months. I don't wish that on him. But Democrats aren't stupid. They don't want to lose. So I, I just I just see it going then in that direction. So I'm sticking to my prediction. All right. We've got another 20 bucks on this. Huh? What, 20... Where are you in this action, Ed? I'm on Steven's side of the action. All right. 20 bucks each. Gold. Go. Even money. Okay. So, again, you know, I, I knocked Tucker a little bit last week, but now we got, you know, the Navalny death and um, that Look, other. Navalny is, they're saying Navalny was murdered. Look, I, from what I can tell from reading American Sama's Dot, uh, Navalny was a tool of American and British intelligence who tried to set him up as the, you know, jewel in the crown of another color revolution in Russia. As far as I can tell, that's true. And he left the country to get treated. And then he went back. Why did he go back? I never understood, even when I didn't know much about the story. I think because his handlers told him, oh, we'll, we'll protect you. And they immediately uh, charged him with probably something he did, corruption. He certainly was corrupt. He made his... He and arguably treasonous, right? I mean... <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of it was, you know, part of... I don't think it was quite treason, but, you know, something like that. And and part of it was corruption. I know he, he was a, a crusader against corruption, but he was just as corrupt as everybody else. And he ended up in a in a prison camp, and um, you know Russian prison camps are not fun. Uh, American 
prisons or not. You're not buying the story that he hung himself with a paper uh, prison gown. No, he, he was out walking one day, had a heart attack and died. I mean, that's the story that they're putting out. And, I and think they're it's not releasing reasonable. his body, which obviously is interesting. But then this defector dude yeah. just died yesterday, the guy who stole the helicopter. So it does get a little bit. And the Russians, Russians are definitely known him. to murder people. But here, here we are. We, we're in, like, if I were Vladimir, again, if you listen to the interview with Tucker, you realize that the way Vladimir Putin thinks is really alien to the way we people, we in the West think. So I'm not putting anything past him. But if you just put yourself in Putin's shoes, last week was not the week for, for Putin to murder Navalny. I mean, they had just uh, conquered uh, Advika in Ukraine, which was a fairly significant, um, though small, military victory. He had just gotten his talk out with Tucker to the American public. Um, and and now he's going to go murder Navalny. It makes no sense. I, I, I tend to I don't know. I, yeah. they, they it's probably, possible because you never know, right? Didn't but, they murder the other guy? The defector is pretty suspect. And by the way, I don't know that we wouldn't have done the same. Um, and I don't even know if they shouldn't have murdered the defector if he was a traitor, et cetera, et cetera. But if I'm Putin, I'm like, hey, I got some good PR and let me hide behind it and I'll kill a few people. Everybody will forgive me. Is it horribly outrageous what he's doing? Again, sadly, we, we probably would do the same thing, you know, just put him on. I, I you know, again, I, I, I think the evidence that Putin killed or had ordered the murder of those journalists and defectors in Western Europe, you know, with the polonium and whatnot. I think the evidence for that is fairly good, that it was a clumsy and outrageous, you know, KGB-like action um, against uh, people he didn't like in, in West. And it, it sort of broke the rules the Cold War rules, you don't, you don't do that sort of stuff. You can kill people, you know, we kill, we kill people in places other than the Warsaw Pact and Europe, and they kill people in places other than the Warsaw Pact or Europe, but we don't kill people in each other's territory. That was the rules, that, you know. Um, and so he's sort of breaking that Cold War, uh, you know, unofficial rules by uh, killing those dissidents in Western Europe. Um, but, you know, I, I don't if he's in a prison camp in the Arctic Circle, I mean, you don't have to kill a guy to have him die in the middle of February. I, I, get, I get he could have dropped dead. But. Again, in light of the other death and, and in light of what Russia does and in light, again, of what probably other countries do as well. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, as far as. Um, as far as assassinating enemies of the regime the united states certainly does that israel of course is famous for that they have a whole um israel's great at it you know they pretty upfront about it in many cases and uh you know cuba did it all the time um so it's you know it is a it is a part of of statecraft that these powerful countries uh you know do this and i you know i i don't like it I think what's also very sad is what you mentioned before, that I would not have wanted to believe this not that many years ago, that so many of these things are literally fomented by the CIA anyway. And we really do not have clean hands by any measure. 
Well, I mean, that, you know, the old line is why have we never had a coup in the United States? And it's because there's no U.S. embassy in the United States to foment it. Uh, that's the only, you know, I, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, uh, you know, they, these are people who are playing with fire, literally nuclear fire, who cannot play a game of checkers successfully. I mean, it's not just chess. Chess requires intelligence and thinking deeply and way ahead. These guys can't even play checkers. And so they'll do these things with other countries like they did in Ukraine. It's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll just overthrow the pro-Russian government. Yeah, what, what could possibly go wrong? Well, based on history, why would they think it will go wrong? I mean, come on. They probably figured they're up for a win sooner or later. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I I mean, these guys do not know how to... Oh, we'll overthrow Saddam Hussein. That's it. That's perfect. We'll we'll kick the Ba'athist out. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong with that? I mean, they absolutely... They cannot... I mean, they're almost impossible of winning a tic-tac-toe. Right. Yeah, Qaddafi. We'll murder Qaddafi. I mean... You know, Libya's got to get better, right? Now there's open air slave markets. I mean, the all of these things, uh, and the only one they did, uh, you know, oh, we're going to get rid of that guy in Egypt, man. He Mubarak, he was a terrible guy. Uh, we'll we'll have democracy. Well, the only thing that saved us from having the Muslim Brotherhood in charge of a, the largest Arab country was um, the Egyptian army was just corrupt enough not to want to be. Uh, displaced by the Muslim Brotherhood, and so they kicked him out. Um, put the army back in charge. So it's, it's it, it, again, the people who run our foreign policy, I, mean, I would be shocked if they knew how to play tic-tac-toe, much less checkers. And uh, the Russians know how to play the long game. Putin is going to win in Ukraine because he is just putting constant pressure on. He doesn't care how many people he throws into the meat grinder, especially since most of them aren't Russians. Um, they're, you know, provincial. Interesting. You've changed your view on that, Ed. I remember when you thought that Ukraine was going to win that war. We debated that. I did. I, I did think Ukraine was going to win the war I, uh, about this time last year um, because they had made such tremendous gains. Um, then over the summer, they, you know, executed some offensive operations and it showed me that they absolutely do not have the ability to uh, properly execute combined arms attacks. And then, so if, if they could do that, then they could win, but they didn't. So they couldn't, so they can't. It's just going to be attrition. And when you know, I read the other day that the Russians are building like a million artillery shells a month. And uh, that's like the entire production of the West every month. The year, entire yearly production of all NATO and Western countries, including like Korea and Australia and stuff, like, they're doing that in a month. Mm-hmm. And they're building, they lost all these tanks. They lost like 2,000 tanks. They have, and it, it was a disaster. At the beginning of the war, the Ukrainians are doing really good, but they're building a hundred tanks a month of, of the newer ones. You know, the newer tanks, and are they the best tanks in the world? No, 
but there are a hundred of them a month. How many has in all of the West, the United States, Eastern, Western Europe, Western Europe, Korea, you know how many tanks per month we build? Zero. We're not building any tanks. So it's, what do you do? The, it, wars are won by outproducing the enemy. They are outproducing the entire West. Russia, with a population of 150 million, is outproducing 1 billion people when it comes to military uh, um, munitions, vehicles, and stuff like that. So, of course, they're going to win. I thought we would actually do something smart, but we aren't. I mean, if if as, as if we we're going to arm, yeah, I would Ukrainians. cut off your resume. Yeah, I'm getting kind of old, but um, <laughs> so smart. I want to switch to something. Are you guys following this guy Alexander Smirnov being arrested for lying about Burisma bribes and stuff? I did see that. Yes, is is he the the informant? Um, yes. What are we to believe now? Was that, um, is he maybe wooing Sidney Powell or are they, you know, wrongly arresting him? What are you guys thinking is going on here? Because obviously the left is playing this up big time. See, their whole case falls apart. This was all thing supporting it, blah, blah, blah. But then you hear other. I, I know what you're asking. We, we spent the whole first half hour talking about this exact thing. I must not have been here. <laughs> well, I mean, it's using the legal system to. Destroy their enemies. Oh, it's we the think same things we didn't like. I think I think not only that, Ed, but it's also the second half hour where you were talking where your point, your main point was there's more support for Biden than Steve and I think there is. And I think this is evidence that at least part of the Justice Department still supports Biden. Okay. Well, so are we thinking he did not lie and they're just making this up? Yes. Duh. I, I don't know. I'm asking. Yes. Okay, good. You're reassuring me. No, it's totally bogus. I, yeah. How else do you call it? How, do you, how else do you call it? It's too convenient. Okay, so I guess I'm losing my time. I mean, for our, for our eight listeners, I know this is not the most popular podcast, but anybody who talks to the FBI, if some guy comes up to you with, a, with an FBI badge on and says, what's the time? No comment. I mean, you, you don't ever, ever talk to the FBI. Never. Under any circumstance. Those of us who grew up with, uh, what was his name, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr.? This is so devastating. Yeah. It is. Yeah, they were the good guys. Integrity, right, was the watchword of yes, um, fidelity, bravery, Elliot, Elliot Ness. Yeah, uh, but you know, I mean, I, I don't think the binding's going to matter because you know, like with the other case with the documents, he's he's not going to be prosecuted for anything ever anyway. And assuming he either doesn't run or doesn't win, it just peters out. None of it really matters. He's going to run out the clock and he probably doesn't even know what's going on anyway. The 
Trump was asked today, you know, because he had mentioned uh, that he's going to get revenge. Um, and Trump was asked by one of the Fox News hosts, one of the blonde Fox News hosts, I forget. Um, and he said something like, you know, well, my success will be the best revenge, something like that. Some, yeah, something he actually moderate. Make a smart comment for a change. Yeah. Something moderate. But the truth is, no, he has to he has to take revenge. I, I want him to appoint a vicious attack dog partisan as attorney general. And I want him, I want that attorney general to go after Biden and Hunter and Biden's brother. And I want them to go after uh, the former, um, all those 50 former. Uh, oh, the 51. Intelligence, intelligence community people who put out that lie. I want him to go after all of the intelligence community people who have uh, violated their oaths in the Constitution and uh, various laws in place for spying on the Americans. Um, all, you know, all those FBI people who have violated their oaths and have uh, acted illegally. I want them to go after every one of them. I, honestly, I want okay. a long list of people I want, him, I want them to go after. Question, I, I, question I, I, my esteemed panel. I want them to go yeah. after the judge in New York. I want them to go after Engra. I have a question in my esteemed panel. If Trump were to say today he's going to do exactly all of those things, is that a net positive or net negative towards his election? I think it's net negative, except with me. I don't think it's I don't think we can tell because I think on one hand, it's going to get Republicans more excited. I would exactly it's going to energize the people who want to vote for him, but it's also going to energize the people who want to vote against him. And so it's going to balance out. I think it's going to balance out, but. Um, the, the good thing, I mean, I, I think it's going to, I think it'll be more of a positive because I think that there's apathy and not apathy, but, um, the people, people on the right are conflicted. I mean, Trump alienates even his friends, even people who want to support him. And he needs to do things that unite his, his base. Right. And you forgot even to mention J6. Yeah. Right. Run the, on pardoning J6 and getting the hell out the of The thing in the video that I saw today that he was working on is the border and American energy. You know, drill, baby, drill. That was his thing. And both are important, but the most visible um, part of Biden's failure is crime and homelessness. And I realized that to a certain extent, Trump uh, bears some responsibility for the crime due to his passing the Kanye West, Kim Kardashian bill. That was um, a really brilliant move on his part. That was 5D chess. I, I, would, I would pick up the crime thing. You, unfortunately, you can't talk about crime because crime is racist, right? But I... I you know, I you know what's don't funny? see how. Did you see what happened on Randall's Island yesterday? You guys know what that is? And I'm sure you know. I know what it is. I didn't hear what happened. What happened? There was a literal brawl slash melee in the big tent where the migrants are, where they're beating up on the cops again. Oh, now, I saw the that. The cops oh, look like yeah. Keystone cops because they don't know how to take people down. But leaving that aside, I'm thinking to myself, and you know, I'm not a particularly pro cop guy. But I'm like, wait a minute. Why are you in this country? You're beating up our cops. Like, leave. I, 
I can't even, like, none of them. And what really made me laugh slash cry watching this melee is how many of these poor, starving, asylum-seeking migrants are holding up freaking smartphones. I think that's well, just all a data point to what I was saying at the beginning about New York is is on its way down the toilet right now. It's bringing in bad people and the good people are leaving. And being pushed out. I, yes. I, the, uh, is it Hochul or Adams? One of them says they're going to give like $10,000 a piece Adams to migrants. And then it's up to Adams. 15 maybe even. Yep. Yep. Well, I'm going to migrate to New York at least for a weekend or so to get my 15 uh, and then come back here. Uh, that seems excessive. But yeah, New York. Um, I, I did. I did listen to like an hour and a half uh, interview with an actual refugee. I know there are very few actual refugees, but uh, this was a guy from Russia who was fleeing the draft. And he made it to the Mexican border and and was, you know, applied for asylum or refugee status or whatever. And and they gave him cell phone and the cell phone. The point of it was to uh, both to track him um, to the extent that he kept it and didn't throw the SIM card away. And um, so that he can, you know, keep in touch with them. He was supposed to, you know, call his contact every Just Make sure he gets to his court date. Something like that. Yeah. Now, none of these people are doing that. I know, I know, because this, th this guy is a white guy who has family who wanted to pledge that they would take care of him, and thus all the rules apply to him. And all of these other people, um, you know, all the rules apply to them, and they give them $15,000. But, yeah, if they all show in phones, they're all given to them by the government. Yeah, that's what I answered myself right away when I said, how do they have these phones? And then <laughs> one more tiny quick story, I'll give it to you guys to do other stories. Apparently, Gucci has a store on 14th Street, Manhattan, which is a pretty Tony place, apparently. And they oh, went man. there with guns, literally middle of the day, stole 51K worth of stuff. And you know whose fault this was, by the way? Trump, obviously. No, the gun. Oh, the gun's fault. Yeah. Now, this course. is New York City, where you cannot get a gun for the love of God knows who. But they're right away, we got to get guns out of New York City. Yeah. Well, I, I've been you know there's a lot of uh mass theft videos going around the internet you know where the uh uh like a, a crowd will quickly gather in a convenience store a liquor store an apple store clothing store yeah, the flash deal every yeah flash mob uh, for for stealing mm -hmm. um uh only ever black you never see the Mexicans do it. You never see the white guys do it. You never see um, anybody else. It's it's this thing. It's a new thing, and it's a flash mob theft. And uh, the Gucci store was no different, although the presence of the guns is different. Um, that you don't see. And I was thinking, why do you even need a gun? <laughs> yeah, nobody's allowed nobody's to stop you anyway. Right. That that. That's more alarming. Then there was the uh, two um, two black guys get into a uh, uh, argument, not a particularly bad argument, mind an argument at the Kansas City Chiefs uh, um, Super Bowl parade, and uh, interviewed afterwards. 
the guy who started shooting and killed one person and injured a bunch of others said, yeah, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is essentially what he said. He said, yeah, I don't know why I drew the gun. That was probably dumb. I was going to mention in the Randall's Island melee, the cops were basically cops of color. And the, the idea of turning this into a racist thing is so upside down backwards. Oh, no. Well, you're you're just not good enough, right? Because the even the black cops um, are themselves both instruments of and victims of yes. white supremacy and, and the other structural racism. Themselves, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, well, yeah, they may not be explicitly white supremacists themselves, but they're acting within a white supremacist, structurally racist society. And so it's 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 still there. It's still racial. Yes, the it fact has, that it has guys, to be. Yeah. No, I mean, you got to you got to learn the lingo. No, oh, unfortunately, I went to social work school. I, I learned this lingo 35 years ago. All right. What did we get to today? What didn't we get to today? Exactly. Catherine Herridge was fired. That's my story. Uh, How big a story is that? Is that she's a victim like a million other people were laid off? Or is there something? Uh, she, you know, there's a lot of um, journalists who have been let go, uh, mainly because journalism is a joke and it's dying as, as a profession. Um, but some of the journalists that have been let go, Blaine Greenwald got, uh, you know, had a dispute with the Intercept. Uh, Matt Taibbi, he he got had a dispute. Uh, they've gone on to make literally millions of dollars um, from both Substack and or uh, Rumble. Um, Catherine Herridge is, is one of the old school sort of foreign correspondents that tries to get things right. I'm not saying she's not a liberal. She probably is. They're all liberal. But as far as reporters go, she was seemed pretty straight to me the times that I've seen her stories. And I would not be surprised that, you know, unless she has plenty of money in the bank and doesn't feel like working anymore, um, that she takes to Substack or Rumble and starts um, breaking out of the, of the bonds that uh, CBS News had put her under. Um, I don't think CBS News... I'm sure she was expensive, and that's one of the reasons why she was fired. I'm sure she had no defenders within the old boy network, which was another reason why she was laid off. But I think she has a, um, you know, she has a possible continuation of the future if she just doesn't retire. Right? Yeah, she's not going to um, starve to death. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the amount of money Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi make. I mean, literally, it's more than a million dollars a year. Um, it's it's real money on Substack and Rumble. So I um, I'm surprised that I'm surprised that CBS did it to her because she's you know usually it's first is last and first out, and she was definitely not last in. She has been around. I can remember her from way back and she did seem like she was of the old school and not the um not the just blatant propaganda school not the msnbc cnn school mm -hmm. reporting so Adam, take us home i'm gonna i'm gonna 
mention Nikki Haley for hopefully the last time on this show. <laughs> she, uh, she was in the news this week. You know, she was both uh, a little crybaby about, you know, talking about her husband. And on the other hand, she was also really strident uh, about staying in the race and that she's in it till, till the end. And, you know, she's beaten 12 men and, you know, there've been jokes about, you know, 12 men down and one to go. And uh, I think that the, the, the stridency is the, is the real uh, news to me. I want to know who's funding her campaign. Who, who actually thinks that they can get a return on investment from paying her to keep her campaign going? I think that's a really interesting question because I don't think anybody thinks that she can win. Right. So the question is, what's the goal? Yeah. She's about to get her head handed to her in her own home state of South Carolina this weekend uh, in the South Carolina primary. Uh, And yet she is strident as ever, uh, says she's in it until the end. And I think the story is not, you know, that she's still in it, but you know, who's funding her? Who who thinks that it's worth it to give her money to to stay in the race and to give the message that she's giving, which is really attacking. OK, her. I have I have a theory. OK, the Republican Party over the years, over my lifetime. As almost always, 16 being the exception, almost always nominated the next guy in line for president. Um, and you can think back all the way. Um, yep. And I, he wants to be the next girl, lady in line when 28 comes around. And I think she has a lot of backers who want to push her into that. Oh, she's the heir apparent. Oh, she's the lady in waiting. She's oh, running she's running for the- on deck circle. But how she's, does she yes, get? How does she get that role by attacking Trump the way she is? Well, I, I think the money in the Republican Party doesn't like Trump. That's yeah, obvious, you know. And I think they don't. Um, and I, you know, again, they. It's kind of a, you know, they're called neocons by by many, but of course they aren't really neocons because the neocons all left and went to the Democratic Party. But the people who want American imperialism you know, are happy with the war in Ukraine and happy with the war in Yemen and happy with the wars and happy with American imperialism and happy with global governments and the WEF and all of these, all of these guys, but just happen to be Republicans because they want like lower taxes and no import duties. Um, She's, she'll do whatever they say. I I don't think she has an original thought in her own body. And I think she's the, whereas like DeSantis, again, he went from the best governor to the worst candidate to the best governor. And, and there's like that six, I, I don't understand it. Um, you know, DeSantis is naturally the guy on deck. I think she wants to be the, the woman on deck. And does anybody really think she's going to ever be realistic? She turns off a lot of people. Yeah, I just don't see it. I mean, I don't even really see DeSantis being the next guy. I think it's more likely going to be Donald Trump Jr. or some some heir apparent that Trump himself names, uh, whether he wins or loses. He's, His vice president will have a leg up if he wins the election. I disagree. Who that, who that vice president is, I don't know. 
let let's see who he picks. I mean, I actually hope that you're right, Ed, because if if you're right, it's going to mean that he chose a strong vice presidential candidate. My my guess, based on his past track record, is that he's going to pick a relatively weak uh, vice presidential candidate who appeals to some targeted group, someone like Elise Stefanik, who might go for women. Uh, Elise Stefanik or Tim out. Tim Scott. Yeah, I, Tim I, Scott. I I I heard your argument there. I, I you know in the in sixteen. There were only two politicians in the Republican Party who it, uh, would accept it, and that was Christie and Pence, and he chose Pence for the evangelical uh, thing. Now I think there is a much wider um, pool pool of of candidates yes. to pick from. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. But the I don't think that the, the I don't think there's that many talented people. The, the 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 talented people are not I don't think they're looking to sign up for him. I mean, you know, leave aside DeSantis ran a terrible campaign, leave aside they can't be on the same ballot or, or on the same ticket without losing Florida. People, someone like him, I just don't see someone like him accepting it. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, suppose he went to Chip Roy. I mean, but he's he alienated Chip Roy. I mean, that's the whole thing. He's alienated all of the solid conservative people. So I, I I hope you're right. I hope that there's one that I'm overlooking and he chooses that person. But I I, I suspect it's going to be some weak candidate that we're not going to like and we'll just have to hold our noses and support him or her. Um, and I don't think that candidate is going to have much of a leg up for 28. I think it's. Well, I argued that, against your I, I, whether I think it was on the in the chat. I argued against your your choice, uh, your your prediction of Tim Scott. Uh, I didn't predict Tim Scott. Somebody predicted Tim Scott. Anyway, no, I'm me. now beginning. I'm now beginning to think that Tim Scott is probably the uh, favorite. Someone predicted. Oh, one of my other friends on Facebook predicted Tim Scott, and I said, "Nah, he'd never do that." But now I'm believing that that's probably going to be the guy. I'm not thinking about it too much, but I think at least Stefanik has an edge. But I'm not putting. I would say Tim Scott's better than Elise Stefanik, but didn't say who's better. I just think she may have the edge in who he picks. I, and I, you think, think because so he needs he needs the estrogen is what you're saying for the for the whole Dobbs catastrophe. Quite possibly, yeah. And she's been loyal to him, and you know, okay, who knows? And I don't think he's particularly fond of the conservative wing of the party, and she's not part of the conservative wing of the party. Yeah. All righty. All right. On that note, we'll wrap up for today. We'll be back next week, regular time. Please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. Please visit libertyblock.com. Next week, we expect to be back with a much fuller compliment. And we wish everyone a wonderful evening.